Welcome, everyone. Um, we're going to continue a class that we started. This is already part three of this class that we began a couple of, uh, a few weeks ago, talking about the priestly garments. And we were learning how they are atonement. They correspond to the four letters of Hashem's name. They're atonement for various different sins. The shirt is an atonement um, for bloodshed, which we so need now in the current situation over here in the United States after the horrific massacre, which is just beyond disturbing. Um, that's the discourse, we, the part of the discourse we learned already. That has to do with the shirt of the Kohen. Then, um, which is corresponding to the vav, the, the 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 third letter of the of the of Hashem's name, and then there is the pants of the kohen, which we're going to learn about today. The pants correspond to the latter hay of Hashem's name, and and it is atonement for um for adultery and incestuous relationships or any type of sexual sin. So we're going to learn the idea. It's interesting. It turns out appropriately for tonight. Tonight is, we're in the week of Yesod. We know that Yesod is the element of reproduction. It connects to a person's sexuality. And uh, therefore, uh, the time of Yesod, which is a full week, is the time for the correction of the and uh, the rectifications in this particular aspect. And um, Yesod, Shebe Yesod, is which is tonight is like really really zeroing in into this tikkun, and this is the mimer that I mean was unintentional that it just turns out to be tonight that we're learning. So we're gonna let's move. Indian amachnasayim and the idea of the pants. Again, this is in Sefer Ur from the Tzemach Tzedek, and it is on Daf Tuf Kuf Nun Zayin and Vayikra Chelik Beis. In our Mechnesim, the idea of the pants, the chasis p'sare, ever the cover of the flesh, nakedness. You should make for them pants of linen. The verse says it openly in Leviticus and Vayikra, Parshas Achadei. The chasis to cover up sar erva, the flesh of the of the erva, which is bimasnayim from the hips adirechaim till the thighs yield. So what kind of pants was it? It wasn't really the long pants. It was some kind of a knickers, you know, that they wore. So it came like from like the hips. And it went down to right about the knees. Um, they wore a shirt. The shirt was like a robe that went all the way down. So you didn't see the pants at all. It was completely covered up. But that was its purpose. Behind, what does that mean? Shaksayin is the shirt, which as we said before is the the robe, is a garment for the body, but even though it, it goes from the shoulders all the way, all the way down, actually till the ankles, but it's still considered the primary element of the shirt, is a covering for the upper part of the body, from the upper part of the body. They are a garment for the body, for the bottom part of the body. To understand the idea, what does this mean? In service. 
what does this mean to us? And as we can tap into the spiritual element of this pants, and as a result of that, uh, achieve the tikkun that we need, rectification that we need. Because if it says in the apostle, and this I think is in, is in Proverbs, in Mishlei, it says, The Torah, it's referring to the Torah, that the Torah is going to be a refua, it's going to be a healing, so what does Sharecha mean? Sharecha hua tabor. Sharecha is the belly, or primarily the belly button. So the Torah is healing to your belly. There is a verse in Shira Shirim, in Songs of Songs, where it says, where God is speaking about the virtue of his bride, that he's describing all the various different parts of her body. And how beautiful and how attractive she is. So he says, Shirarecha Agasar. And um, that's referring to her her um, her belly and Aganasar, whatever that means. I don't know. I don't have a I can check it up if I have a cigar next to me over here with English translation. If I do, it's good. Let me let me get a let me get one. Take a second. Okay, let's see if they give us a translation. The art scroll tries to, uh, I might even be here. Um, on the same page I just opened up randomly, let's see. Um, almost. Even though I don't think I'm going to get much over here from the art scroll because art scroll is very careful. They don't translate it literally. They, they immediately go to the um, metaphoric, to the to the meaning of it. Maybe we'll find it. Let's see where it is over here. It's somewhere in Song of Songs. Somewhere in the, in the Song of Songs. It's not even, I'm, I pronounced it word wrong. I pronounced it shedarecha. It's shedarech. Aganasar. See, I knew that. I knew that I'm going to, they are not going to translate it in the literal. So they translate shedarech, the Sanhedrin site at the earth center, which is obviously referring to the belly, because that's the center of the, of the body. Agam Hasar were seated in the round in a moon-like crescent. 
So Sar is the moon. So maybe Agam means like a half a circle. Now, give me a minute. Instead of doing that, we're going to use Rabbi Google. That's better. I'm sorry, everybody, but I got stuck on this and I forgot to look it up earlier. I didn't prepare this today. I prepared this only a while ago, and I and I and I intended to look it up, and I forgot. Uh, Okay. Which verse is this? Seven, Song of Songs, seven, three. Let's do that. Do it in English. Song of Songs, seven, chapter seven. Let's do Chabad because I don't want to get the non-Jewish sites. I'm not sure what they're going to give me. But let's get the Song of Songs. Here we go. Your navel is like a round basin. Good. That's it. Your navel is like a round basin. Now, what does it say over here? Uh, oh, so now let's go back. Once we understand that the word shaderech means navel, so when the Pasuk speaks about Torah, the, Pasuk, the, the verse says, in the other verse, the verse in Proverbs, in Mishle, it says, the Torah is going to be a healing, your navel. So that's considered, and as he's going to explain in a moment, the, the navel is considered the lower part of the body. And basically, really, it says the body splits by the, by the um, what do they refer to it? It's called the diaphragm. The diaphragm is like the section within the body that separates between the upper organs, which are the more refined organs of the heart and the and the lungs, which are responsible for the more higher functions of the human being, like breathing and the heartbeat and all of that. And uh, then there is the lower part, which is more related to the more animalistic side of man, eating, and also the uh, the reproductive aspect of the human being. So when it says that this will be a healing to your navel, it really means that the Torah can heal 
the blemishes that happen in our in our element in the aspect of of the lower part of the body. Apostle so the, the verse is referring to the Torah that this is a healing. Also to the aspect of the tabor. Which is the lower half of the person. A person is divided into two sections. From the upper part, from halfway and upward. Those are the organs of breathing. Which are more spiritual limbs. And then you have the lower half. Over there is where the digestion takes place. Those are more the physical aspects of the human being. That's why the sages say, regarding a human being, the upper half of a person is like an angel. We're comparative more to angels. And the lower half, we're like an animal. The human is an interesting uh, blend. Now, Torah is studied with the mouth. The mouth is in the upper part of the body, all the way up. Outside of the torso, it's up in the upper part of the body, in the head, or in the face. And Torah, so Torah is through speech, which is the more human side of the human, or the more angelic side of the human. And even though Torah study is taking place in the upper part of the body, its impact and its effect is healing to the lower part of the body. When a person studies Torah, it has a certain purification and rectification, and it makes a person complete and healthy. In the lower half, as in the upper half, it it uh, it elevates even the lower part of the human being. Why? Because when a person observes Torah, when we say observing Torah here. It means not just observing the mitzvot, but it means observing that we don't waste time and we study Torah all the time. It is effective for guarding bris, uh, which means the, the covenant, which means one sexual uh, aspect. So when one studies Torah, that's what the Rambam says, for instance. When the Rambam speaks about dealing with negative impulses, desires, earthy, physical and immoral desires, the Ramam says the best way to deal with it, and so it says in Tanya also the same thing, but obviously in Tanya it uses more spiritual, more you know, Hasidic words, but the same idea. Instead of battling with the darkness, you know, focus on light. The more light, if you put your brain, the Ramam says that the mind does not become full with all unholy and impure thoughts unless that, then the mind is vacant. When you keep your mind occupied all day studying Torah, there's no room for these negative impulses, thoughts, and desires to go into the mind. If you sit there and you're not filling the mind with anything, so empty stuff will empty in one's mind. And obviously that's where all sexual sin begins. It all begins with fantasy. It all begins with the mind, you know, going off into all kinds of negative places because it's not filled with holy content. Um, the Alter Eben Tanya also says that when a person is suddenly overtaken with a desire, with negative thought, Instead of combating and saying, oh, this is ugly, this is bad, and trying to argue your way out of the thought, just turn your attention towards holiness. And he uses the idea that when you that a little bit of light chases away a lot of darkness. So same idea, but, but what he's saying over here is that that's, that, that's that concept that observing Torah, which primarily means in this case, what we're talking about over here, the studying of Torah, the mitzvah of Torah studies to study every free second. 
So if one and there's so much Torah to learn. So if a person preoccupies themselves with Torah study, it, it helps now in addition to the psychological element of it, because the mind is busy with something. When you're very busy, you don't have time for shtus. The problem always is free time uh, when it comes to particularly to those aspects. Um, but if you hear this, even more than that, you, you can say, I can fill my mind with uh, studying math. I can fill my mind studying science. I can fill my mind studying all kinds of other stuff. I mean, so why? Uh, no, we're talking about particularly Torah that has an ability in addition to the just the plain simple idea that when your, your mind is occupied, you don't have space for anything else. There is something special about Torah that it has an ability to straighten out the lower part of the body. But from this it implies that the blemish which happens in the lower part of the body, which is when we say what's the blemish, the primary blemish of the lower part of the body is relate, relating to the bris, relating to sexual sin. Is, is that blemish is greater than the blemish that happens in the upper part of the body Bittel Torah, which is primarily when one does not study Torah. It's saying like this, that the verse is saying that Torah is a healing for your for your lower body. Now, Torah is also obviously a healing for the upper body part of the body as well. It's a healing for the entire person. Why does the verse emphasize that it's a healing for the lower, for your lower half? Like it says, it is a healing for your navel. Well, it's, so 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 from here you see that to heal the navel is a very great thing, and that's even greater than healing the upper blemishes. Because, why do you have to say that? Because the wreckage and and the and the and the and the cosmic um, um, of destruction that is caused by sins relating to immorality are so devastating that they need a they need a very powerful power to repair it. And that's what he's saying over here. This is the praise of the Torah, that this is a healing, also even to the to the lower part of the body. A person has to make sure that they should be complete in their lower half, just like their upper half. Sometimes we find that this has been a challenge in the world and a very real challenge. There could be people that are very spiritual. And it's not a question if their spirituality is true or real. A person could be a very spiritual person with higher quests and aspirations and a, very, and a sharp interest and a person of faith and a person of, of higher knowledge and so on and so forth. And yet, they, when it comes to their lower half, their lower half is not with the program. It's almost like there is two, there's there's a dichotomy. There's a split in the person. Their higher place, their higher being is really angelic. They really, they really sincere in, in, in their connection to God. But there's like a whole different, you know, persona taking place in the lower part of the body that is steeped in sin. And they can't like kind of even out these two. The, the higher part and the lower part are not, so to speak, seeing eye to eye. And not on the same page. It's like the lower part, the higher part of the human is connected to God in a very real, strong way, and the lower part is like doing its own thing. And that's why there are moments where the person like loses themselves completely. And so, you know, it's a shocking thing in the world where people sometimes find out that so and so, you know, who we thought was so tzaddik, is ends up, you know, they they've had the issues.
and and because that's it. There is a there could be a disconnect between the higher person and the lower person, and particularly when it comes to this to, to this particular challenge. Obir calls that, and the explanation of all of that is in Medrash It says in Medrash. So now he's going to explain this idea of upper and the lower and how to bridge the two and connect. There is a bris, there is a covenant in their mouth. There is a covenant. He's going to explain the connection of how Torah study, literally the learning of Torah, brings in an atonement for the lower. Because he's going to equate the mouth with the with the bris mila. With the with the um physical, sexual uh, aspect of the human being. So there is the, the mouth and, and, and because they're both in the center of the body, between, as we're going to see in a moment. So the Medrash says that and the, both of them are called covenant. The mouth, there's a covenant on the mouth, which is the Torah. The Torah is called a covenant. So the mouth is supposed to study Torah all the time. That's how we keep the covenant. And there is the, the covenant in the reproductive element of the person, and over there, the the as well, um, the there is a covenant. That's the bris milah. That's the circumcision. And it's one thing to be circumcised. That's already a mitzvah. But it's another thing to be continuously in a state of holiness, which is the really what the mitzvah of bris milah is. Like Maimonides says, that the reason we do a bris milah, and particularly that part of the body is that it weakens the, one's sexual lust. It, it, it to a certain degree, de- desensitizes the person a little bit. It's meant to weakening the, the physical sensation which drives a person crazy all the time. So that's the, so, so keeping the bris meal means to keeping it holy, which means that it's only used in its proper usage. Proper usage of it is, you know, in a loving relationship, in a marriage, a kosher marriage of a husband and a wife. And there it's not just okay, over there it's actually very holy and very sacred. But every time it goes out of that and it goes into places where it shouldn't, that is uh, that is that is no good. So, as he says, what's the covenant of the mouth? The Torah should never depart from your mouth. You should study it. You should study Torah all day now, day and night. That's the bris of the mouth. Torah is the dibur of the speech, of the mouth. And then there's another bris in the flesh. Which is what it says in, in, in Genesis and Bereshit. And you should keep my covenant. That every person should circumcise. As we say it also in um, the grace after meals, in Birchus Amaz, and for your, your bris, your covenant that you have sealed in our flesh. So that's the Medrash. The Medrash says two bris, one high and one of the, and what is this? One of the upper half of the person and one of the lower half of the person. Now in the book of formation, which is an ancient Kabbalistic book attributed According to some, to Abraham, to Avram Avinu. So in that Sefer Yetzirah, what does it say? It also does this um, connection between the mouth and the bris. It says, 
So it says over there that the significance of the ten fingers of the person is the ten fingers on the two hands of the person is a somewhat a reflection of the divine ten attributes. Okay? And there's Chamesh, Kenegid Chamesh, five and five. So there's five spherot, he soon will explain what they are. The five spherot on the right side, which are the five fingers on the right. Then there is the five fingers on the left. And a single bris, that means five and five, that's more than one. But in the center of the body is the singular bris. And what is that? In the mila, mila usually means circumcision, which is like over here. In this case, it means the bris, lashin of the tongue. So in the mouth itself, what we're talking about over here that that represents and that is similar to the to the brismila is the tongue. Uh, so and that's in the middle. Bemilas lashin, the Sefi Yitzira says, in the mila, in the circumcision or in the covenant that there is in the tongue, mo'or, and in the mila of the flesh. So again. There is a parallel in Sefer Yitzira that these two, and they're called the Emsa. Now, we're soon going to see when we say the Emsa in the middle, it's in between the five fingers. Both of them are in between the five fingers. Because they're both in the center of the person as opposed to this. But we're going to see that he's he now is going to connect it to another statement in Sefer Yitzira, which basically says there are 20 fingers in a person. or five in the hands, ten in the, in the upper part, which is, that, which is the person's hands. And then there are five on the t- of the toes of the feet, and the five of the just like in the hands there is five and five and a covenant in between which is the tongue. So to in the lower part of the person, five fingers of the feet of the right foot, five toes of the left foot, and then the yesod which is the reproductive organ which is the bris It states it more explicitly. Hashem sealed a covenant between the ten fingers, Yadav of his hands. What is the what is the covenant that Hashem made between the two sets of fingers of the right hand and the left hand? The covenant is the tongue. And then Hashem made a covenant between in the center between the ten toes. And what is that covenant? Ma'ar, which is the, the bris of the flesh. So what do we have over here? <coughs> Clear statement, both in the Midrash and in Sefi Yitzira, there is a connection between the tongue, which is where we study Torah, and the bris. We can explain what is the idea. The idea of the fingers of the hands and the feet. Which in it, in it, obviously we're talking about how they are in the human, but being that the human is a reflection of what's going on above. So over there he's speaking about in Sefi Yitzir, he's referring to the divine attributes, which are also five fingers and five fingers. So he's first going to explain what is the idea of the repetition of the ten sefiro, the one in the upper part of the body and one in the lower part of the body, one on the hands and one on the feet. Before we talk about the two brisen, we first need to speak about the two the two sets of fingers. In Yanukamoshakas, so the idea is as it says, Al Hakise the Muskmada Adam. 
So when um, the Navi, the prophet, saw the image of God, it was Yechezkel the Navi, Ezekiel. When he saw the the um, the prophet, when he saw the image of Hashem, he saw the, the Markava, the chariot. We're going to read this on Shavuos. This is the Haftorah that we're going to read next week on Sunday on Shavuos. And so he saw how there were the four beasts, and on top of the four beasts is the throne, and on top of the throne is the image of man. The Mus Kemara Adam, an image appearing like a man. Now, and that man is sitting on the throne. Now what he's going to say is an interesting thing. When, when a person sits on a chair, so the upper part of their body is on top of the chair. Their torso is sitting on the chair. But their feet are dangling below the chair, below the, the piece of wood or the, the bench part of the chair. The feet go lower. So he's going to explain the idea that there is a divine, a realm that's pure divinity, and 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 that's the world of Atzilut. There's no creation consciousness yet. Everything is completely unified with God, and that's called above the chair. And that's the ten sefirot when they are still manifesting in a purely divine realm where there's nothing other than Hashem. And then there is the chair itself, which represents the partition that separates between the world of Atsilos, the world of emanation, and the next stage of existence, which is already state of separateness, which is the idea of creation, which is already there's something other than God that has been created. But the tense of Firot, which is the extension of God, of God's emotional powers, of God's uh, uh, you know, um, channels of, of light and channel of manifestation, God channels himself, his energy down, even into the world of separation. And through his extension into those worlds, he creates them. And that's going to reflect the ten sefirot that are dangling downward, lower than the chair. The chair is the separation. So the sefirot, when they're still higher in a world that's only a locus, only divine, that's him above the chair. The feet going down, the sefirot going below, that's the idea. As he explains. So first he's going to explain what is the concept of the chair. And then we'll understand what does it mean to sit on the chair. That the man that he saw, which is referring to God, is to, to be found both above the chair and below the chair. Above, above the throne and below the throne. So first let's take a look. He says the word kise. Everything, everything. You want to know the meaning of something, you have to always analyze the word. The word kise is made up of three letters. Chav, Samach, Aleph. And, the, and which which you can divide into two into two words case, which case means covering it covers a kisoya cover, and what does it cover aleph it covers Hashem Hashem is the aleph because he's the singular one, and he's called alufa shalom he's called the the power of the world the chief of the world, which means that above the chair, above the throne above the partition, the the, the singularity of God is felt everywhere. There's only him, there's none but him. But once the chair comes and makes an interruption, it covers on that oneness. And it begins to allow for a the many to emerge, which is already the creations. Pidish who case aleph, a cover on the aleph, the and that is referring to Allah Parsa. That is referring to, to partition. That's between the world of Atsilos, which is the world of emanation, which is the first of all four worlds. Labria, which is at the first stage of, of already creation consciousness, which is already a state of separation. I mean, when I say separation, it's still holy, but compared to a world that is just God, 
is nothing other than a revelation of Hashem, then the world of Bria is considered already a state of separation. Shubchina's case, Aleph, there's the cover on the Aleph. Who is the Aleph? Aleph, Aleph is the chief of the world, which is God. The Aleph, Adam. And Aleph also is the first letter of the word Adam, which Adam is referring to God. So the, the Alufa Shalom and the man. So really, as we're going to see in a moment, it's really both. Man, it, you know, regarding to Hashem, it says, on the one hand, he appears like man, like we saw in this very prophecy itself. And on the other hand, the verse says that God is not a man. So it is explained. The sefirot make up some kind of an image of a man. It's, it's the psychological structure of man. And that's the sefirot. But we know God is not of any of these. Inherently, God is not of any of these sefirot. It's only a projection. So within the sefirot flows the simple light of God that is non-sefirotic, that is non-defined. So that's That's the singular aleph. That's him as he doesn't have any definition. But then the word Aleph also represents, stands for the first letter of the word Adam. So when you combine them both, it means both the structure of the Sefirot plus the, the pure light, the pure undefined non-man energy that flows within them. All of that is covered up by the chair, the, the throne. The throne blocks that because higher in the world of Atsilos, that's the experience. All that exists is one singular man. And pure light that transcends Atsilos. And then, but once you hit the partition, the filter, it filters and it blocks. So lower than that, it's possible for others to exist. What is this referring to? This is referring to the infinite light, that is illuminating the In the ten spheroids, in the ten attributes of Atsilos, is illuminating the simple light. Vahaparsa. So, what does the what does the throne represent? The throne represents this partition. This is this cover, like we said before. The word kise is case. It covers to obscure, and to conceal. That the infinite one, blessed to see, should not be revealed. The very same powerful light that is illuminating in the ten spheroid which as a result of that, everything in that world is just God. There's no separateness at all, even though there is design, but the design is just a design of Hashem, meaning it's just Him, you know, um, expressing Himself through various different designs. But that state of consciousness, and that state of oneness, should not reveal itself in the next stage of creation, because if that would be revealed, then they wouldn't, then we couldn't possibly exist the way we are. So the next stage of existence, which are the three next worlds, which stands for the world of creation, the world of formation, and the world of completion. It should not be revealed also over here. It should stop. So again, it acts like a, a filter. And like, just like when you have a person that is sitting on a throne. What happens? We said earlier the torso is on top, but including his arms, his hands. His hands are above. Sometimes you have a throne that has a hand rest. So the hands are above the, the chair. The raglov, but the feet. They dangle down. And they go they, they go below the below below the throne. Tachasakise under the throne. The same will also apply to God. 
fingers of his hands. These are ten attributes of the world of Atzilus. They are above the throne that's in Atzilus. Sorry, they are above the throne. Why? Because those ten spheres above the throne is the world of Atzilus. Shabbatzilus may be because in Atzilus he is shining, he is very, very apparent, he's very revealed. Those ten spheres are on top, over there it's open. But once there is the throne, it cuts it off. But it doesn't mean that the divine energy doesn't pass. Because if the divine energy wouldn't pass, there wouldn't possibly be anything. So the divine, the, 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 the influence of the sephirot, of the attributes, continue onward, but in a way that they are severely, severely diminished and blocked. But yet they continue, and that's why they compare to the next level of fingers. They're still the same fingers, but they're already on a much lower level when they appear as the ten feet, as the ten toes on the feet. Yes, and it's boy and then there's the ten toes of his feet. They're talking about God's feet. And as a sphere, I see there's a ten attributes of Briatsir Nasir. Like it says in a Pasuk. There's a verse that says, and the land, the earth, which is the lower realm. Hadaim Ragli is where God says, I put my feet. Shem Lamat, the they are below the throne. Vinikra Raglo, they're called his feet. Shem Gamke, Mibchenas Kemara Adam. Because really, they are also an extension and they're still of the image of man. Shuolakus Mamish, it's purely divine. Vahaloi B. So how can it be? Is it, Below the throne is already creation. How can there be an extension of the divine into creation? So he explains. First, he's asking the question. In the the three lower worlds, which is Bria, starts with the world of creation. Again, even though it's very subtle and very, 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 very holy, the the most sublime celestial beings living in in those realms, but still it's considered already separation, just just the mere fact that that they are entities that are not God. The fact that they have a self, that's already a block on the truth that there's none but him. So they're already living in, in this blur. They're living in this, in, this, in this concealment. Like it says in the verse, that once you hit the world of Berea, once the river goes, goes past Aden, and it goes past the Gaiden, which is the Malchut, the, the, the kingship element of the world of Atzilus, it already, the river then forks off. The forking of the river means it becomes separated already. It becomes something. Oh, so now, so what are God's feet dangling there mean? How is it? Is it God or is it not God down there? Is it creation or is it him? So he explains. It's referring to we know that the lowest levels of Atzilut, of the attributes of Atzilut, they descend and become the soul element, the energy, the life force of the next world. And he refers to them as the Netzachod Yesod. Because the ten spherot are right, the Chabad, the upper part of the Chabad, Chochmah Bidadas, that's the head. Then there is the spherot, the emotional spherot, which are physiologically related to the torso. As we said earlier, the two hands and the, and the body. Even though now we're looking at the spherot as the fingers, but in a more general term, the whole body is structured as the ten spherot, which are the... And then finally, the two feet 
are Netzach and Hod. And the Yesod is the, is the um, reproductive element in the person. So it explains that what element of, what are we saying over here? Which part of Hashem, metaphorically speaking, of course, dangles down below the chair, which means goes into the next three worlds, the Netzachod Yesod, the feet. And that's the feet that's going down. Of the Ze'er Anpin, the small face, which is referring to the Sphirot of Atzilas. Shanasa's Moichen, they become intellectual powers, Lenukva. They become the energy, they become the life force for Malchus. Malchus is, is the recipient of all these emotional energies, all these attributes. And then Malchus becomes the mother, she translates that energy into creation. Because God is acting like a king, that's what Malchus is, a king. And he's a king over creations. You can't be a king if there's no separation. If you are your people and your people are you, you're not a king over them, just like you can be king on your own limbs. So inevitably, once the things come into the realm of Malchus, there has to be a filter, there has to be a stoppage of the energy so that it can create separation. But what does he say? That Malchus, that's the source of the worlds of separation. It's the animation, that's the soul of the next world. But in the Malchut element is the Netzachod Yesod of her of her husband. So that, that means that when Malchus goes down to become this, the, the life force of the lower worlds, it's the Netzachot Yisod, it's the feet of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, also going down. So, they become the light of the soul, the 10th Sfirot of the next world. Because the 10th Sfirot of the next world are considered like a body. And just like a body has a soul that that animates it and enlivens it. So to the Eser Sefirot, the 10th Sefirot of the next world, which is already more like already creation energies, their soul is still an extension of God. The light of their soul, in soul itself, is three levels. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama. So the lower two parts, the, the Nefesh and the Ruach, is not really divine. It's it's energies created by the divine. It's, it's, it's like a human soul. The soul is not God. It's like a piece of God, whatever you want to call it. So those energies are already considered a little bit separated. But the soul of it, the nisham of it, is still an extension of the, of the infinite one, blessed is he. And that's the idea of God's feet. That's called the external element of the Za'iran But the inner dimension of the Za'iran which is the essential element of the, of the emotions. Not the um, emotions that are Action oriented. Those are the lower emotions. Netzachod Yesod are more action directed emotions. But the emotions that are more about feeling, which are the internal emotions, the Chesed, the those elements do not carry over into the next world. Those are too sublime, too godly, too high for them to be revealed at all in the three lower worlds. And even to be on that lofty level of being just a light and illumination and a neshama, even that is too much. The imk. So now going back, but the but but the but the netzachod yisod yisod element do continue on and do become the life force. The feet go below the kisei. What's the kisei? The kisei is the partition. So anything below the partition, below the throne, is already considered the world, creation. 
and the feet go down into creation. Okay, so that's the idea. Now we understand what's the difference between the hands of Hashem, the fingers, and the feet, the ten sefirot above. Now, even though we're just saying now that only five sefirot go, I'm sorry, only three sefirot go down, only the feet element of the higher go down. And suddenly, what are we finding? We're finding ten toes, which ten toes are ten sefirot. The answer is within these three elements of Netzach, Hod, Yisod, you have all ten sefirot. Because as we know, in Netzach, there is the Chochmah of the Netzach, and the Bina of the Netzach, and the Das of the Netzach, you have because everything is a everything is a is a configuration. Everything is a blend of, of all the sefirot. So what really is only three attributes become is considered can be seen also as ten spheres. Okay, but now he first wants to once we understand the upper and the lower. Now he's going to explain the difference between five and five, the right and the left. What does it mean? Five opposite five. Which is question is we know that the system, the way things are set up in holiness, in the world of tikkun, we would we, the last class I gave was called three 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 three, and over there I was talking about how this year is so significant. It's three 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 thousand three hundred thirty three years since the giving of the Torah, and um, and I was explaining what's the significance is because the world, the ancient world, which caused chaos and mess and and was divided, the energies were divided into two extremes. And the two extremes were always in contrast with each other, always fighting with each other, and there was no mediation. And that's where you have a world of war and clash and extremism. And the and the whole aspect of Torah and the Jewish people and so on and so forth is to bring synthesis and harmony, which is related to number three. And that begins in the fact that when God emanates attributes, he emanates them in three columns instead of in two columns. The middle column, so to speak, serving as a bridge and a mediator between the two extremes of the right and the left. Like you're watching today in the, in the United States, you're watching an unbridgeable divide between the right and the left. No one is talking. Everybody's got their own news channels. Everybody's listening to their own news. No one wants to hear even what's being reported on the other side. There's no, it's literally a chaotic world of Torah. But the world of Mashiach and the world of Torah and the world that Torah is building is the world of communication between the two sides which is associated with the th- with three columns so his question is how are we suddenly saying that the spheros are divided five and five which is illustrating the idea that they're set up in just right and left when in truth there should be three even though in tikkun it's three three columns true he says but in general and it's two and what the third is, the third is nothing really original. The third is a blender between the two. And because of that, you know, we can place the spheros, five of them on one and five on the other, because it inherit, at, at its core, it's, it's right and left. As stated in Paradise, which is a safer by the Ramosha Kedovu, great Kabbalistic uh, encyclopedia. Of uh, not just encyclopedia, but the Shekava um, that the middle kav, the middle column, acts as a mediator. And sometimes there are spherot that are there that are more leaning to the right. But nothing is just plain middle. 
either it's leaning, it's middle leaning to right or middle leaning to left. Yash that are more right leaning, Yash and then there are Sfirot that are leaning to the left. Well, that Marshall base completes nine. Just like you have two parts of a two uh two in a in a uh, scale. You have the two the two uh, bowls on one side and the other side. And then you put the stuff in. You want to you want to weigh. And then you have the, the, the indicator in the middle, the tongue in the middle, and he calls it the, the lusha in the tongue, which will either indicate to the right side, or we'll go to the left. Sometimes it's going this way, sometimes it's going to the other way. And now he shows you how in the spirit it's that way. What's, what are, what's the middle column? Keter, Keser, Das, Teferes, Yisod, and Malchut. That's the middle column. Because Chachma, Chesed, Netzach is on the right side. Bina, Gavura, Hod is on the left. In the middle, Keser, Teferes, sometimes we say Das too. Keser, Das, Teferes, Yisod, and Malchut. So here he explains. Right. Keser, Teferes, he leaves out Das. The reason he leaves out Das is because it's explained that whenever Keser is counted, then we don't count Das. If we count Das, then Keser is not counted. And we did, we learned already about that other times. I'm not going to get into it now. I know Kesser and Teferis. Now Kesser and Teferis, Machri and Makava Yemin, are more leaning towards the right side, which means to kindness. Kesser, generally, Kesser is Rachmim Shpashim. Kesser is pure mercy. It's, it's, it's simple mercy. It's boundless mercy. That's why we always try to evoke the Keter, because over there, the mercy and the forgiveness, the place for tshuva and for forgiveness... It's definitely leaning more towards the right. But Teferes and Teferes, and Teferes, what's Teferes? Teferes is compassion. And the way compassion works is, as we discussed, even though it considers the arguments from the left, which means it, it, it acknowledges that a person doesn't deserve, but it says, hey, you know what? It's a, it's a pity on them. You know, you feel bad for them, so you should, even if they don't deserve. Which means it considers the left argument. Kindness doesn't consider the left at all. Kindness is so good, it's so it it's so giving that every situation it sees it can find in the worst crim, criminal that it too deserves to get. Everything, every, everybody is giving. Everybody, I'm sorry, everybody is 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 worthy. Everything. The kindness in in the in the pure mind of the kind of kindness, there is there is no judgment at all. So everything is worthy, and so on and so on. And then that, the, the left contradicts, because the, the left side, which is judgment, doesn't find worthiness in anything. No one is worthy. But when, when you have Teferis, Teferis acknowledges the argument coming from the left side that there is no, it's not deserving. And yet, and yet, it says, but you have to have compassion and give. So the bottom line is to give, which is the same thing like kindness says, give. Just that the motivation is different. That's what we mean, that the Ferris is leaning towards the right. The Yesoid Umalchus and the latter two middle, middle Sefirot, which is the foundation, Yesod, and Malchus element. They lean more to the left side. Because Yesod is actually taking 
the final energy and transmitting it to the creation, to Malchut, which is the soul of the creation. And when it comes to the actual giving, it's very, very important to restrain. Because if you're going to, if the mashpia, the giver, and in this case we're talking about the infinite giver, is giving to a finite recipient, it's gonna, if it's going to allow the energy just out, just as it is, it's going to flood the world with infinite energy and it's going to destroy the world. In its very act of giving, it's going to cause <coughs> a complete destruction. So what it needs to really do is hold back and a powerful contraction, but the contraction is not about contraction. It's all about contracting for, in order to give. So therefore, Yisod, which is, the, which is the actual bonding and the transmission, has to have a lot of breaks in it, a lot of restraint in it. That's why there's a lot of gavura in Yisod. Um, he says, Ki Yisodu gavura, he said, through gavura. like it says, who is the person that Hashem gave the bris mila to have the first bris? Now, bris, we said, is Yisod, as mentioned at the beginning of the class. The bris the, the circumcision takes place in the reproductive organ, which is Yisod. And who did I, who's the first person to, Hashem says, I established a covenant with you, even though he told it to Abraham, to Avram, who was the man of kindness, but the first one that it was, it was, it was given to Avram in a preparation so that Avram should be able to give birth to Yitzchak, to Isaac. And the first one, the first Jewish person to have his bris in the ultimate way, which is on the eighth day, was Yitzchak, was Isaac. And what do we know about Isaac? Isaac is Gevura, is discipline. Because Yisod, Bris, and, and Gevura are very deeply connected. My Bris, I will establish with Yitzchak. is the Yitzchak from the restraints of Yitzchak. That's where Hashem establishes the covenant to influence and to give to Malchus. So we see Yisod leans to the left. Malchus and Malchus Malchus is primarily structured from Gavura. That's what a king is. A king is has to be strict and set rules. It can be nice and kind, but the general structure of kingdom has to be built on discipline. He governs with laws. That's what it is. The law of the land. Venimtsa comes out, even though we see that there is Sphirot in the middle. They're in the middle, but they're they're leaning either to one side or to the other side. And base kavan, because in general, there's primarily two two columns. Keser chachma chesed teferes netzach. You follow that? Keser, the crown. Chachma, wisdom. Chesed, kindness. Netzach, perseverance. And, I'm sorry, before perseverance. And teferes, a beauty. And Netzach and Perseverance, they're all on the right side. What he did now is he put two of the middle ones, which are Keter and Teferis, also to the right. Kavayamin. And then Bina, Gavura. Bina, Gavura, Hod, Yesod, and Malchus all belong on the left side. So that's how you have five fingers and five fingers. Five on the right and five on the left. This is five opposites five. But then there's a single bris. 
What did we say earlier? Five fingers, five fingers. In the middle, there's the mouth. In the middle of the two sets of fingers of the feet, of the toes, is the is the bris mila. So what is that? If you have already all the spherot, which spherot are all emanations, so what does the center bris mean, the covenant? So he's explaining something very, 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 very special. He says these are all attributes. These are all like feelings, emotions, you know, programs. They're all programs within within the 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 uh, within, so to speak, within the, the system, within the divine being. Certain programs, certain attributes. And what you sowed? What's what's the the bris? The bris means the covenant, the attachment of God Himself. Is that He Himself is actually coming into it all, not just His attributes. That's what we generally refer to that many times as that's the element of Yesod, that's the element of Das. It brings the very, very person themselves into it as opposed to it being just. As opposed to it being just like sometimes a person's, you know, kindness can be on cruise control. It's like it's operating. They're not there so much because they're busy doing other things, but they have it all set up already that the kindness flows. Or a person can be disciplining also, and then and they're not really there. It's just like kind of it's in it's in it's in a uh, autopilot because these are features that exist within the person. The bris means the idea that you are there completely, as he says. The, the, the what's the, the bris yachid who is kashros is the bonding, hamshach of ashba the 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 flow and ashba meatzmos hamatzum. From the essence of the emanator, Baruch This is not a flow just of the attributes. This is coming from above the ten attributes. It's from the level of Chad from the one that's not within. It's an amazing because you realize he, he put the Keter, the crown, as part of the Sefirot. That's not yet the one. That's five and five. So obviously, we're talking about the external part of Keser, and that's actually... It says on Chassidus, we only count Keser when we count the external part, what's called the Erech Anpin element of Keser. So that too is considered like not God's himself being invested. The, 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 but when you're drawing from the Bechad, means God, that's already God saying, I myself am there. That's what happened by the giving of the Torah, because we said before, Torah is the bonding of mouth to mouth. And Torah is like a kiss. It's not just words. Every word that we're learning in Torah, we're speaking God's words, but we're, we're locked in a powerful kiss with the infinite. And when you're kissing someone, it can't be autopilot. Because if you're not there, then it's worthless. It's nothing. It's, it's, it's nothing. A kiss means to be completely, your entire being is now being drawn into the other person. So being in a kiss with God means that God is fully there, and that's the giving of the Torah. And when there is the investment of the bris, what is that? That's invigorating all the ten sefirot, all the fingers through the mouth, so to speak. What he's saying is that there is extra investment of God's very self into the ten sefirot. That they're not just the programs running their thing, but there is there is the the, the source. And the and the and the and and, and 
and and the soul of it all that's fully present in it. And obviously, what does that do? That adds vayadeza nasa yichud vihiskalalos. And that's the point. When the programs are running just the programs, then each one is kind of set very much in its own agenda, in its own state. And then the five fingers on the right don't really get along with the five fingers on the left. See, one of the functions we said before of the middle, of the center, is to bridge. So we're saying that the mouth, the bris alashan, and the bris milas, we're going to see soon, are to bring the very, the very being into the relationship. And what that does is it creates harmony between the two sides. Because once the kindness is not just kindness, but it's God himself being kind, then it very much gets along with discipline because over there too, it's God himself's attributes, not the attributes themselves, because the attributes themselves can get a little caught up in being who they are, not in serving the overall interest of the super being that they are just manifestations of. In other words, it's possible that the Sphirot can forget that they're manifestations of a higher being. They can start becoming about what they are. And the integration of the two kavin. The fact that the left becomes integrated in the right. That can only happen when there is the bris coming along. Similar what it says in the tikkunim of the Zohar. What does it say? When it speaks about the Sfirot, it says, And you yourself, meaning you, as you transcend all these attributes, you bond them together. And you unify them. And that's when there is a time of will above, because there are times when God withdraws, and he doesn't withdraw completely, but he allows, so to speak, like the flow operates kind of an autopilot, if you would say. The spherot are doing their own thing. And then there is a lot of fragmentation in the whole system. But when it's a time of will, which means that God is fully invested, infused, excited about what's going on down here. So then he himself comes into it. And then there is far more unification in, in on, a, on a very, 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 very high fundamental, you know, core primordial level of existence. Things are far more unified and harmonized. When it's being drawn from the will of all wills, there always has to be will. If there's no will, it's not like you say God doesn't want it, just things are running on their own. There's always will. But in will itself, there's various different levels. There's the will that, you know, you, you want it to operate. And then there's the will that you're really, you're excited about something and you're really focused with all your energy there. That's called the will of all wills. And that's the idea, the singular covenant. Because the yachet, that's getting the, the singular one. Bris yachet also means something else. There is... There's a covenant of Abraham. There's a covenant of Isaac. Because the verse says, I will remember, it's this week's parsha. Parsha is Bechukhaisa. We have a passage of the parsha. God says, I will remember the covenant of Abraham. I will remember the covenant of, of Isaac. I remember the covenant of Jacob. Right? So, so these are individual covenants. But we're talking about a much higher level of covenant because these are the covenants of the each Tefira also has its covenant. The Yesod element which you saw this bonding, is always called the covenant of every sphere. And in every sphere, there's an element of you saw. 
Bris Yachid, what does Bris Yachid mean? Who in the Mashakas of Kiyahadah is referring to what it says in the verse, the mountains might move. In other words, even if the mountains are cast aside, the mountains are referring to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, which is referring to higher to the spherot. Even for whatever reason, one can like dismiss them. But the bris, the covenant of my peace, will never budge. This is mystically associated with the bonding of the ancient of days, which is him himself, God's very self. And where, and where is that to be found when we study Torah? It's the mila, in the, in the circum, in the covenant of the mouth, of the tongue. Oh yeah, Al-Taida is referring to Taida. When we study Torah, since Torah is so unified with God's inner, inner pleasure, inner delight, it draws God's very self down into the, all the tents of Herod. For behold, Moshe Rabbeinu Adam HaShalom Omar, to explain this a little better, he explains, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Moses, Moshe said, what did he say? When he was trying to um, get, get, get off the hook, when Moshe was trying to wiggle his way out of what God wanted him to do to go redeem the Jewish people, Moshe says, I'm not a man of words. Moshe, we know how to speech impediment. So he said, I'm not a man of words. I don't speak well. You know, if you want to have a thundering speech of civil rights, of the rights of the people, you know, I'm, I'm not the person. I can't do that. So, because I have a difficulty in my mouth, and I have a difficult tongue. The Zohar explains, what does he mean double? I have a difficult mouth, I have an impediment in my mouth, and I have an impediment in my tongue. So, see, Moshe understood that the going out of Mitzrayim is not just to go out of Egypt, it's to bring the Jewish people to Sinai, to Har Sinai, and to give the Torah. And the Torah we know is made up of two parts. There is the written Torah, scripture, and then there is the oral Torah, the Talmud and all the commentary. When Moshe says, I am, and we know these are two levels. The written Torah is one level, and the, and the, and the, and the oral Torah is a, is, a, is a more constricted level, closer to the creation, lower. So um, when Moshe says kvad kvad peh kvad lashen, he's referring to not just he can't he, that he can't give a speech to Pharaoh in, in the Egyptian Senate. That wasn't his issue. He says the main the main idea of the redeemer is to be the communicator of God's mouth to the world is to give the Torah to the world. And I don't have it. so it didn't just mean a physical impediment. He's going to explain in a minute Moshe why Moshe is saying that he can't speak. We'll see in a minute. When he says, I am difficult in peh, in the mouth, is referring to the oral Torah. Which we know, mouth, the, super, the mouth as it, as, it, as it is in divine, is malchus. malchus. Malchus is called peh. Malchus peh is malchus is the mouth. The rebellion, the supernal speech. So Moshe is saying, I, 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 I'm difficult with speech, with malchus. Let's we'll see what that means. Kvad and I'm difficult in tongue. That's referring to the written Torah, which is not Malchus. The written Torah is already rooted 
the malchus is the speech what goes on before speech what motivates speech are the emotions so the chumish scripture is the internal level of the divine emotions even though we're reading words but we're really reading when we're reading the torah we're getting an inside x-ray of the of, of what's taking place in god it's much more than the stories we're reading of the the simple tiny little understandings we have we're reading it like humans are reading it the same book is read higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and has infinite infinite wisdom and what it really is is the inner scan of the divine of hashem's of hashem's psyche and of hashem's emotions and that's obviously before speech it's like you know i, I know you because i know what you say but what i really know you is if i can have an x-ray of your emotions if I can have an internal tour inside your inner, what's going on behind your mouth. So Torah Shabal gives us the, 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 the will of God, the explicit will, the commandments, because without Torah Shabal we have no idea what a mitzvah is. We don't have to do the mitzvah. We just have it. But where is that coming from? From Torah Shabal Torah Shabal is, we have a vague idea what God wants because these are the emotions that are behind the actual words. Just like if a person is tuning into someone else's emotions, but they're not at all hearing what they're saying. So I, I'll know pretty much the intensity of you, but I don't know exactly what you want until you break it down into words. So Torah Shabbat breaks it down into words. Torah Shabbat however, is the inner world. Now, even though the question is, Torah discussed is even higher than Hashem's emotions, Hashem's intelligence. But it, it descended from the realm of intelligence and it was enclosed in the emotions. Now, what's Moshe's difficulty? Why is Moshe complaining and saying, I can't serve for this function? I can't serve. Simply would say, he might say, I'm not worthy, I'm too low, I'm not, you know, find a better candidate. Moshe was speaking truth. Moshe wasn't saying, it wasn't humility. Moshe was actually saying, I'm beyond that. My soul is rooted, Moshe's soul was rooted in the divine, in the level of Chachma, in the pure infinite light of God. As, as Chachma, which is the first epiphany, which is the first level of creativity of the divine mind, as it is still connected to the, to the infinite, to the, to the superconscious of God, so to speak, that infinite boundless place. So for him to come down into the particular emotions, which are far more external, Especially into the speech, I can't do that. I'm much deeper. He was from the essence of Chachma. Which they were talking about wisdom, but with an unknowable wisdom. It is above and above from the emotions. And therefore he says, you know, for him it was a huge, huge, huge descent. That Moshe should be able to come down into emotions, the dibor, and into speech. Okay, where, what does he want with this? We'll see. And in the Medrash it says, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he said, I, the Medrash makes an interesting statement. Moshe's speech impediment only let was was there. Why didn't God consider his argument? Because God healed his speech 
is his speech problem. And when was it healed? Not in Egypt. In Egypt, Moshe spoke and he spoke unclear words. And Aaron was his translator. He gave it over to Pharaoh because our Pharaoh couldn't understand from Moshe. Because his words, whatever, were not clear. But where did God heal Moshe's mouth was by, by Harsina. Because the giving of the Torah, Moshe, a new channel opened up and Moshe was able to speak. So in addition to the physical healing of Moshe's mouth, this was a repair, so to speak, in Moshe's soul, that Moshe was able to come down. The, the spiritual problem that he had, that he was too high and too deep and too sublime. And Moshe was able to come down into the emotions and come down all the way down into speech. Moshe said this before, before the giving of the Torah. But after the giving of the Torah, what does it say? There's the last book of the Torah, opens up, and it implies that Moshe was this phenomenal speaker. These are the words that Moshe spoke. Suddenly Moshe is a speaker. And Ela also means very clear. These are clear words. Moshe began speaking words. And Moshe became a speaker. Heaven mar peloshen eitz chayim. What does that? What does that mean? The tree of there's a verse that says the healing of the tongue is the tree of life. The tree of life is the Torah. Eitz chayim. It's called. It's called the tree of life. Mar peloshen heals the tongue. Referring to who? Moshe. When Moshe needed to communicate the Torah, his tongue was healed. Torah itself is, see, this is like this. What Moshe was saying, I have an impediment of mouth and I have an impediment of tongue. He wasn't referring to the Torah itself. Torah is rooted in the essence of God. He was referring to the Torah as the Torah is manifest in five books of Moshe. And the Torah as it is coming down into this world, as it's, as it's, entering into the creation realm. Moshe is much higher than that because over there it's descending, as we said earlier, God's intellect is descending into his emotions. From his emotions, it's going into his speech, communicating through speech. And that's all the laws of Torah and so on and so on. Moshe was much higher than that. But why did the Torah then, by the giving of the Torah, Moshe being healed? Because since the root of the Torah is rooted in Anochi, in God's very, very self, and from Hashem's very, very essence, there is no... There's nothing that he can't. He's not limited in his infinity and his, in his loftiness. He's not in. He's not limited in into his abstraction. He's not limited into his um, transcendence. He's able to come down, 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 down because he can do whatever he wants because of the because because the essence is the essence. And that's why Hashem said to Moshe, Anochi, that very, very I, very self, who you can't put any limitations on, I will be in Picha with your mouth. Moshe's problem was that he was in Chachma. And from Chachma, he says he's light years away above the emotions. But Hashem says, yeah, Chachma has a certain Chachma because Chachma is already one of the Sephirot, one of the attributes. And it has a certain definition. And that its defining element is that it is so abstract and it is so high. But that too is a definition. 
Keter, and especially the innermost of Keser, which is rooted in, which is a, the, 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 a reflection or related to the essence of essence, has no definitions whatsoever. And therefore, from there can come the ability that even wisdom should be able to descend. It's able to take the, the Moshe, Moshe's light, and who Moshe is, which is the essence of wisdom, and draw that down, into the emotions, and into the realm of speech, through what? Through the two Torahs that we have, the written Torah and the oral Torah. So what do you see from here? What you're seeing over here is that, what did he say earlier? Ten fingers, ten are representing the spherot, that we say earlier. The spherot, as they are, like, for themselves, as they are programs. What did we say is the tongue and the, and the yesod and the bris milah? That's where, that's, that's the channel where God himself is coming. Not attributes, not aspects, but the very orient self. So you see that by Moshe as well. That when it comes to speaking of the Torah, Anochi, God's very self says, I will be, and I am bringing you down into that level. Moshe is one of the ten sefirot. He's the first one, the highest one. And in a sense, he's stuck over there. But that's as long as the tongue, which is, in this case, a, a channel for the bris, for the covenant of God himself. When he comes down, he can pass energy from the highest sphere, from Chachma, all the way down to Malchut, and because because it becomes all, uh, everything becomes invigorated with an infinite energy that's higher than, than it all. And it brings this unison and this oneness into all the spheres and can connect Moshe, the highest, with Malchus, with the lowest. Um, the ten sefirot and the ten, ten it's boys, who begin as the, the, the ten spheros that are on the fingers are the ten spheros of the emotions. Today, in other words, they're not the ten spheros in general, because the head is chachm. What are you doing in the fingers? It's the ten spheros of the emotions. It's called the ten fingers of the hand. These are the midas. The singular bris is stationed in the middle. B'milas lashon in the tongue, he atayra. That's the Torah. Shal yedei atayra through the Torah. Nimshach mepchines atzmi is chachmila. It's drawing the essence of chachm. As we said, it's drawing from keter the essence of chachm. Shule eila li eila min amidas. It's above above the midas. Can you do as it is known? The emotions. Shetaferes de emanasa keselazon. There's air ampin the emotions which are called as air ampin. Their influence and their 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 source and higher is only from the teferis element of the bina of the mother bina's mother, and it's not even from the intellectual element of bina. It's only from the emotional element of bina. That's the teferis of the mother becomes the crown, <coughs> the energy to the emotions. So, what would be the bina of bina, and especially chachma itself, the chabad of the of the the shore is beyond, beyond the Midas. But when you learn Torah, 
through through Torah, which there is a drawing down of the essence of Chachma into the into uh, the Teferis, the Abanasa Atikuzah, and the Teferis of Chachma becomes not just crown, but Atik. Atik means even more removed. The Mochen, the Chachma of Chachma, and the and the Bina of Bina, or the Chabad of Bina, all these Sephirah, they are even higher. And through this, when there is this hamshacha from from pnimius hachachma, from pnimius hakaser, this causes, as we said earlier, all the sefirot to combine. V'zeu inyan, and this is also the idea shaluchay soyishnayim. That's where we find that the tablets were too. Hey dibrois aluach echad. There's five commandments that were on one tablet. Hey luchays, hey aluch zeh. Five, and we know that the ten commandments, each one corresponds to another sphere. But these are the these are the mitzvot as they are attributes. And then there is Moshe Rabbeinu himself who's bringing them down. They're both equal. The fact that the both luchas are equal, which means right and left are equal, that is in, indicative. Through the power, and as we spoke earlier, the power of the kiss, the power of God Himself being invested there, with Skalalus Bezakavan. It's what brings and unifies the two the two columns. Shashneim Shavim, they both become equal. The Kamoi, interesting analogy that he says, or example he gives, like a person who's both a righty and a lefty. There are people that are what most people are 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 stronger on the right side. There you go. Right, and then there are some people, a minority, that are stronger on the left side. No, I see a lefty, and then there are people that are balanced. They, they, both the right hand, the left hand, they're equal, and that's kind of what the Torah does. It balances out everything. No, for most people, the main power is on the right side. The and the left hand, we We learn it out. It says by tefillin. It says you should, uh, you should put it on the yatcha, and the sages learn out. From the word cha, it means yod keha, the weaker hand. Chalishas, it represents weakness. Kesharlet b'shtei yodav, and a person who's who has strength in, in both hands, who shashneim shavim begvura b'kayach. It doesn't make a difference. If he throws something from his right hand or he throws something from his left, it's equal. Nevertheless, so Torah is a very powerful intimacy. Torah is a very powerful drawing down of God's very self. But Mekolmokar, nevertheless, not, but, but he's going to Where's the Mimer go? The Mimer is going to say that as great as the mouth is. Remember, we said earlier that the blemish that takes place in the mouth by not learning Torah, which is a very big blemish, is not as significant as the blemish that happens through a sexual sin. Blemish in the lower bris. Even though that's a lower bris, but he's going to explain now how this idea that the essence is captured in the both in the tongue and in the productive element of the human, as strong as it is, as, as much as the person is present, they themselves are present in their tongue, in their mouth, in their when they're engaging in speech, or as we said earlier, in a deeper kiss, so to speak, as strong as that connection is, it's not as deep and as is essential as through an actual an, an actual sexual intimacy. That's the deepest essence of the person coming out. 
That's why it's the deepest bonding. And that's why, God forbid, when we misbehave in that particular area, because we're in the image of God, we're causing considerable damage in very, very deep places. And a person can't just say, you know, the difference is my own private life. I'm not harming anybody. I'm doing my own thing. Doesn't work that way. Because we're very, 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 very wired up. As he says, How is it coming out? It's coming through speech. It's higher presence. In speech, Speech, even though it's, it's drawing from the very person himself, in this case we're saying it's it's drawing from God Himself, not from the attributes. But since it's speech, speech is only a ray of the of the person Himself. It's the person, but a ray of the person. It's not the substance of the substance. And where do you see that? You can teach people, and you can communicate ideas. And your students can be, become filled and filled and filled with knowledge that you have. And you can impart them and share them with your students. But those students are not you. They will always be themselves. They're not going to be you. What are they receiving from? They're receiving from the, the conscious element of your mind. The revelations of your mind you're giving to your students. Your ideas, your concepts. And even if you're teaching everything. It's still only your, 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 uh, your, 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 um, what your mind has produced. But how about your brain itself? Can you give that over? Can I communicate to my student my very, very, very gray matter of my brain? Can I give them my very, very mind itself? Can't do that. The only time you can give someone, like we say, a piece of your mind and a piece of your brain. Is when you're creating a child in the seminal drop of a, of a human intimacy or any kind of intimacy. Over there, you're actually copying your DNA and you're creating a full-fledged being who doesn't only have, actually doesn't have your information. Your children are not born with your knowledge. But the child has the potential much more than your knowledge. The child has a, has a potential to be an actual you and even supersede you in the sense that they can because they have the brain cells of your cell and that makes up their brains of your brain and they make up that makes up their brain, they're able to you know, pump out from that brain maybe even more insight and more knowledge and more depth than the father even did. But even that comes from the father. The child is actual, the essence of the father. Why? And where does that go? How does that communicate? Not through the mouth. It's communicated through the reproductive element of the person. So there's something very deep and essential. The essence of the... See, in, in, in the kiss of Torah, it's a revelation of the... It's a ray of its essence, but it's the ray of the essence. Meaning it's not... In all other interaction, it's, it's the programs, it's the emotions, it's the certain elements of you, but not you. In Torah, it's, I'm talking about God, is all spherot. These are attributes of the divine. And then there is God himself. 
comes through through Torah, but only a ray of him comes through. But in Brit Mila, over there it's a transmission of essence to essence. As he says over here, Yes, it's coming. It's the essence of the supernal Chachma. But it's only a ray of it. But through, see, first, we're gonna, he's going to get the bris soon. First, he said, but through actual physical mitzvahs, physical mitzvahs are called like a physical intimacy. Nimshach has drawn the essence of Chachma. That's the idea of the bris that's between the ten feet, the ten toes of the feet. Because what's feet? Feet represent far more the physical realm, as we spoke earlier. Feet is godliness as it's coming into creation itself. The hands represent more the loftiness of the attributes above. The Indian and the idea is, and he explains, Kiraglov Koyal Mitzvahs. Hashem's feet, in as much as it's relating to us, it's referring is 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 Hashem's feet is is mitzvahs the the deed the act of a mitzvah. just like in a person just like in a human body there is the head there is the main part of the body the torso and there's the feet. The feet is the last level meaning the least of impressive element of the human being. It's important to have feet, but it's still considered the, the most inferior of the same is also in the service of God there is avoda of the higher part for example intelligence understanding and he explains even deeper there's the avoda of the skull which which represents even higher than the head is when you're experiencing powerful desire for God there's the avoda the service of the desire of the heart. This is even superseding the brain. It's the skull represents the the simple will that's above the nasi. That's the avod of achas. It's in prayer it comes out. The simple yearning, the, the pure desire of the soul to cleave to God, not based on any intelligence or anything. The Torah, and then there's the next level, is Torah. The main Torah, as we said before, is the mouth, but the very important Torah, excuse me, is to understand what you're learning. So it's the Chachma, it's the wisdom. And then there is the grasping. It's in contemplation. And then there is emotions. Comes in our relationship with God. Comes love and fear and things like that. And that's like the center. And then there was speech, which is without emotion, just plain speaking holy words. Like the words of prayer. Or the blessings you say when you say a mitzvah, when you do a mitzvah. Right? But after everything, what's the last and final thing? Is the deed, the action of the mitzvah. And the essence of the deed of the mitzvah. To put on the tefillin, to actually take that physical talent, the physical 
prayer shawl, scarf, and who and, and, and wrap it around your body and do the physical mitzvah. That's that's not that lower than that. What's lower than that? I don't mean lower. It's very high, but you need to say in service of God. Here you're dealing with you're doing something. You're 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 in the lowest range of your body, which is action, and you're doing something, right? So that's what we also find that the masters of Torah are considered the head of the Jewish people. Mitzvahs, the masters of mitzvahs, they're called the feet of the Torah. They're called the, 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 yeah, the supports of the feet. Like a staff which holds up the body, the, the feet. And just like we see in, in, in a person. Now there is, there are, even though the feet are lower and far inferior to the head, yet we know that there are certain things that the head has to come onto the feet. The head is usually the influencer and the feet have to be obedient to the head. And most of the time, the feet should listen to the head. The head is, you know, directing your feet to, to, good, to good places, to good things. To profitable, to, to to productive things. If the feet don't have a head, the feet just just you know <laughs> run around the block all day, do whatever without without anything. So the head, so the feet in that sense are recipients. But on the other hand, there are many ways where the feet are giving the head because when the head needs something, it can't have it unless the feet get it for it. And more than that, the head would be rolling on the ground. Would be in a very pathetic state if not for the feet, which which raise the head up to a high posture. And even and then he finds another example. We find in in in, in certain medicines, certain uh, disciplines, and in, 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 uh, you definitely have that in uh, in Eastern medication medicine, um, in acupuncture and the like. In kaiv that if you have a a, a headache and you have certain problems in the head, they push certain points, they put certain pressure points in your feet, and from the feet, they're fixing the head. Marcus, and they used to do, they used to let blood, so they used to let blood in the feet, draw blood from the feet in order to heal the head. And in this, you see the head, the foot is the is the head, and the head becomes a foot. Because we know the beginning is wedged in the end. So the feet being the end of the body, there's something very special over there. In certain ways, the Torah influences the mitzvahs because you can't do any mitzvahs unless you first know what the Torah says. The Torah guides you in the mitzvahs. But there are certain things where the Torah receives from the mitzvah. And they're considered the head for the Torah. Where do you find something like that? That mitzvahs influence the head. Instead of the head influencing Torah, influencing mitzvahs, mitzvahs influence Torah. Where do you find that? Shalyadeshem is sakin ma'isov. So in Torah or, which is a book of the altar in Pasha's Bereshit, he explains that when a person is very particular and very meticulous in their actions to do everything exactly like Torah demands, and they're very careful. And they engage a lot in, in mitzvahs. 
that in action, they're very, very cautious to, to never violate anything of the Torah, always to be perfect in action. The Kiyamitzvah say the Tachos, and they when they and also the positive commandments in action, they do it very accurately and very mindfully. It's similar to where it says that everybody that is very evaluative evaluates all of their all of their ways very carefully. That doesn't just mean that you're very, very observant, it sharpens your mind. From a meticulous observance of mitzvahs, when you would study Torah. You're going to have such a sharpness and clarity in Torah. As opposed to, God forbid, a person says, listen, I'm into Torah, I want the knowledge. Eh, the mitzvah observance is secondary. I'll do, I'll do whatever, but not everything and not all the time and not so perfectly. What's going to happen is they're going to be lacking clarity in their learning. Because the feet influence the head. Now, Adiri says, the head, the mind, and their heart, meaning also their emotional capacity, become so much purer, a thousand times as much. In other words, that the mitzvahs can influence the head, increasing the power of the head because of observance that is, because you're taking care of your feet, that they should be holy feet, godly feet, that will make the godliness of the head the, the sharpness of the mind and the head and the ability for the mind to conceive and understand a thousand times more potent. Not that it's not going to go twice, 200%, a thousand times. Incredible. Because the act, the feet are rooted very high and it stimulates and it brings down more light into the head. And the reason is Torah is, is, is Chachma, which is the beginning of the chain-like order. And therefore, the Torah is very, very powerful in the realm of the adapted light of God. That's called Mamalakalama, fills all worlds. Torah is the highest level of that. But 